Welcome to Twin Peaks Radio, the show where we remember, in the words of Major Garland Briggs, a real mystery can't be solved. Not completely. It's always just out of reach, like a light around the corner. You might catch a glimpse of what it reveals, feel its warmth, but you can't know the heart of it. Not really. That's what gives it value. It can't be cracked. It's bigger than you and me, bigger than everything we know. I'm Professor Robert E.G. Black, and today, while Andy cries there on the beach, on the shore of Black Lake, I want to get a little sidetracked by a young woman named Hazel Drew. From HazelDrew.com On July 7, 1908, 20-year-old Hazel Drew walked up Taberton Road, dressed for a special occasion. It was Monday evening following the July 4th weekend. Though it was sweltering, Hazel wore Victorian boots, white gloves, a black merry weather hat, and triple-layered black skirt. She also wore her new shirtwaist, one she had made just that Friday evening for a much-anticipated weekend trip to Lake George, a getaway that was mysteriously canceled the following Saturday morning. Taberton Road was little more than a heavily wooded wagon trail paved with rocks, much like the mountain it climbed. Henry Rollman and his wife were making their way down Taberton to Avril Park when they saw a young woman picking berries by the side of the road. Mrs. Roman commented to her husband, My, isn't she pretty? Her husband agreed and added, But she's a fool to be alone on this road. The Romans continued. It was now getting dark, yet after driving a considerable distance, Mrs. Roman looked back and noticed Hazel was still standing in the raspberry patch, picking berries, prompting Mrs. Roman to say, My, but that girl is having a good time with those berries. An autopsy showed no traces of raspberries in Hazel's stomach. Hazel was next seen by farmhand Frank Smith and charcoal peddler Rudy Gundrum at a turn in the road at what locals call Piss Hollow. Frank recognized Hazel as John Drew's daughter, a girl he knew and was fond of. Locals referred to Frank as dim-witted. This, along with his actions that evening, including a midnight run into Avril Park, made him a favorite suspect and an easy mark. Both Frank Smith and Rudy Gundrum feared the investigation would end with their hanging. The 7.30 p.m. sighting of Hazel Irene Drew was the last time she was seen. Four days later, her body was discovered in the same clothes, face down in Teal Pond, a location very close to her last sighting. Taberton Mountain was the summer home of Mark Frost's grandparents and where the Twin Peaks co-creator spent summers as a boy. Mark Frost heard Hazel Drew's name from his grandmother as a ghost story a cautionary tale told to keep the young Frost boys from wandering into the woods at night. Lore has it that Hazel's ghost was looking for the man who killed her. In 2013, Mark disclosed Hazel Drew's connection to Twin Peaks main character Laura Palmer. He said, I'd heard stories about Hazel all through growing up because she supposedly haunted the area of the lake. So that's kind of where Laura came from. It was the notion of this body being found on the edge of the water, the mystery remaining unsolved the multiple suspects and the kind of cross-cultural and different social classes of people she interacted with really struck my fancy. Though separated by almost 100 years, Hazel Drew and Laura Palmer were connected by their secret romances and reported wild sex orgies. Portrayed by friends and family as model citizens, both were betrayed by writings found after their death. Hazel was last seen on July 7th, but her trip to New York City on May 30th was likely the beginning of the end for Hazel. This was the domestic servant's second trip to New York City in less than a month. Her salary was $2.50 a week, 
hardly enough for this lifestyle. Hazel traveled and spent most of the weekend with her new friend, Carrie Weaver. According to Carrie, they stayed at a private boarding house and met with no men. Hazel revealed that she would spend the July 4th weekend in Lake George during the boat ride home. Once home, Hazel also informed employer Mrs. Carey and her aunt of these plans. A step away from this source. This is from the Herald Democrat, 17th July, 1908. That Hazel Drew came to her death as a result of an accident instead of being a victim of a murder is the theory put forth tonight as the most possible solution of the Teal Pond mystery. After five days of careful investigation, in which many theories have been advanced, a motive for the murder is lacking. Nothing has been learned that would warrant the authorities in making an arrest in connection with the crime. This being the case, the accident theory is advanced. The Macadam Road between Troy and Avril Park is popular with automobilists. A reckless chauffeur speeding along at night may have struck the girl with his car, causing her death. Rather than face the consequences, and knowing the country well, it would have been a comparatively easy matter to have taken the girl's body in the car up the lonely road toward Taberton, and to have thrown her body into the mill pond. To give color to the suicide theory, the hat and gloves were left on the bank. Through a postal card received at the Drew home from New Carlisle, Ohio, on the day of Hazel's funeral, addressed to the dead girl and signed Carrie Weaver, it was learned today that Hazel and Carrie were good friends and that they went to New York together to spend Memorial Day. Miss Weaver is employed in the household of A.M. Green, a professor in the Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. And now another source. This is from TrueCrimeEdition.com. 20-year-old Hazel Drew was born on a farm in East Pestonkill. At 14, she left to work in the home of an affluent family, eventually becoming a governess. Described as fair, blue-eyed, and beautiful, the young woman worked hard and was liked by everyone. Hazel was last seen four days earlier by Frank Smith, a teenager who worked at a nearby farm, and Rudolf Gundrum, a charcoal peddler in his mid-thirties. Around 7.30 p.m., Frank had hailed Rudolph for a ride in his wagon, and the two of them saw Hazel for the last time. Frank had an unrequited love for the young woman, whose appearance and personality lured many young suitors, wanting to get to know her, and she was popular around the town. When Hazel was found, she was floating face down in the river. She was bloated, and her skull had been crushed by an unidentified object. Her lungs were empty of water, meaning she was dead before she hit the lake and she was unrecognizable due to being in the water for four days. Hazel was eventually identified by her gold fillings and clothing, and as the investigation into her death began, the details of her life started to come to light. Just days before her murder, Hazel had resigned from her position at the mayor's home. Her reason remains unknown, but she was given the rest of her pay for the time she'd worked, and she left the house. She told relatives that she'd planned to travel, but her exact movements were never revealed. Hazel was also living well outside of her means. She was traveling first class into New York City and to Rhode Island, dining at expensive restaurants and staying in luxury hotels. Her new clothing was also far too expensive for a woman who worked as house staff and earned $3 a week. According to her friends and family, there wasn't a man in Hazel's life, but they likely knew more than they were saying. Hazel's aunt refused to help the police and told many of Hazel's friends to do the same. However, when questioned, Hazel's friend Carrie Weaver told investigators that Hazel had a way to make her money go further than most people, and she'd likely saved her earnings. In May, just a few months earlier, Carrie and Hazel took a trip to New York where they attended the theater, ate at lavish restaurants, and stayed at a boarding house, 
despite Hazel losing her purse. Carrie said that the pair never met any men while they were there, but Hazel had been to the city earlier in the month on her own. On the way home from New York, Hazel told her friend that she was going to spend the 4th of July holiday at Lake George, presumably with a man. When Independence Day weekend came, Hazel didn't go to the lake and instead spent the holiday with her aunt. Detectives searched through Hazel's minimal belongings and found a number of postcards and letters from friends. There was also correspondence from a man known as C.E.S. The six letters he wrote were loving. Your merry smile and twinkling eyes torture me. Your face haunts me. Why can't I be contented again? You have stolen my liberty. Please don't forget a promise to write. When I reach Albany again, I will meet you at the tavern. I must see you soon, or I'll die of starvation. Hazel's friends and family told investigators that they didn't know who C.E.S. was, and he was never identified. However, on the 6th of July, Hazel was seen waiting for a young, tall man at the train station. The witness claimed the man had very controlling behavior over Hazel, but again, he was never identified. Investigators had few leads to go on in the murder case that was beginning to capture the nation. Frank Smith was initially a suspect in the case because of his secret love for Hazel. The teenager was described as dim-witted and an easy suspect in the case. However, Frank had an alibi and multiple witnesses for the night of the murder and was quickly ruled out. Another suspect in the death was Hazel's uncle, William Taylor. He owned a nearby farm, and although he was described as odd, there was no evidence that he'd killed his niece, and he was also released without charge. Investigators had heard rumors about a dentist that Hazel was involved with, then according to the Evening Word, inquiries into 30 to 40 dentists throughout Troy, New York began. According to Hazel's friend, Mina Jones, the dentist had asked for Hazel's hand in marriage, but his name wasn't known. According to Mina, Hazel was also attacked twice by a man a long time ago, and she managed to escape. He was never caught. Several decades later, and 160 miles away, Mark Frost had an idea brewing. Having spent his early years vacationing in the area where Hazel's murder was infamous, his grandmother had used her death as a cautionary tale. He and David Lynch eventually used Hazel's death as inspiration for Twin Peaks, a story of a woman whose body is found by the shore of a lake. This next source is the book Murder at Teal's Pond, Hazel Drew and the Mystery that Inspired Twin Peaks, by David Bushman and Mark Givens, by way of LifeScience.com, an article by Mindy Weisberger, November 9, 2021. Drew came from a poor family, and from the age of 14, she worked as a domestic servant for a total of three wealthy, important men in Troy, New York. These were three extremely powerful, politically connected people, two of whom ran for mayor, and one of whom was the city engineer, Bushman said. But Drew unexpectedly quit her job days before she died. Under extremely mysterious circumstances, he added, even her closest friends didn't know she was going to do this. While Drew's employers were never accused of foul play, two of them were dogged by scandals during the time that she worked for them, and she may have seen or heard something compromising that put her in danger, the authors wrote. At the time, police considered Drew's creepy old uncle and a teen farmhand with an unhealthy crush, neither of whom had alibis, to be likelier suspects, they added. It's weird that the other source said that Frank had an alibi. A good one. After Drew quit her job, a friend spotted her at the train station. Drew said that she was going down the river, but the only train leaving at that time was bound north for Albany, Bushman told Life Science. 
Drew was also far more social than her family initially reported. Though Drew's aunt and relatives first described her to police and reporters as a shy churchgoer and a homebody who was never out with boys, letters kept by Drew revealed that she had many admirers, one of whom expressed his ardor in language that hinted at violence, Givens said. In one letter, a man named Harry apologized for bruising her wrists. He then wrote, I should live only for and have fond clinging memories of my lady of the blonde hair and be faithful unto death, which was pretty racy for the time. Given said during a presentation at New York Comic Con on October 8th. Perhaps Drew eventually had another violent interaction with Henry, he just said Harry, weird, or with another boyfriend that ended in her death, Given said at the panel. In Twin Peaks, two of the show's main characters, Audrey Horn and FBI agent Dale Cooper, share a conversation where they talk about how secrets are dangerous things, Bushman said, and Hazel, I think it's undeniable that she kept secrets. Did one of those secrets include the identity of the person who killed her? Jarvis O'Brien, Rensselaer County District Attorney in charge of the investigation, announced at one point that he knew who the killer was, but in the end, no one was charged with the crime. This is from the Washington Post, May 11, 2017, by David Bushman and Mark Gibbons. The tiny resort community of Sand Lake in upstate New York roasted in 90-degree heat for the third straight day on July 7, 1908 when 20-year-old Hazel Irene Drew walked along a remote section of Taberton Road. Heavily wooded, this stretch out by Teal's Pond was popular with squirrel hunters, campers, and fishermen looking for bait. But it was risky business for a young woman like Hazel to be alone at night. She was by all accounts a prepossessing woman with flaxen pompadoured hair and blue eyes. At approximately 7.30 p.m., she encountered two men, Frank Smith a reportedly dim-witted teenage farmhand who had met her on a handful of occasions of a set to fancy her, and Rudolph Gundrum, 35, a charcoal peddler who had been driving his horse-drawn wagon into town when Frank hailed him for a ride. In her gloved hand, Hazel idly swung her black-trimmed straw hat, decorated with three large plumes and a monogram pin with the letter H. Hazel and Frank exchanged salutations. As the wagon moved on, Smith turned to Gundrum and said, That's old man Drew's oldest daughter. This was the last confirmed sighting of Hazel Drew before her lifeless and bloated body was discovered floating face down in Teal Pond, four days later. Cause of death, blow to the back of the head, her skull crushed with a blunt, unknown weapon. The water had distorted Hazel's features so beyond recognition that she could be identified only by her clothes and the gold fillings in her teeth. The evidence pointed overwhelmingly to murder. Today, the mystery of who killed Hazel and why remains unsolved, and while the case attracted daily coast-to-coast press coverage for weeks at the time, including extensive coverage in the Washington Post, Hazel and her story would likely be long forgotten today if not for one thing. The murder happened in the vicinity of Taberton, New York, where future Twin Peaks co-creator Mark Frost spent his summer vacations as a youth. Frost's maternal grandmother, Betty Calhoun, would spin yarns derived from local lore, including Hazel's murder, framing it along the lines of a cautionary ghost story, Don't Go Out in the Woods at Night as Frost remembered in a recent interview. Frost inherited his grandmother's flair for storytelling, became an accomplished novelist, screenwriter, and television auteur who co-created with David Lynch the storied 1990s ABC show. Frost and Lynch were batting around story ideas in a Los Angeles coffee shop when they conjured up the image of a young woman's lifeless body washing up on the lonely shore of a small-town lake. Lynch, as one might discern from his filmography, was obsessed with young, troubled, vulnerable women especially blondes. Earlier, 
Ian Frost had worked on a fictionalized Marilyn Monroe biopic, suggesting that the Kennedys were involved in her death. As for Frost, I'd heard stories about Hazel Altherman growing up, because she supposedly haunted this area of the lake, he said at a 2013 Twin Peaks reunion at the University of Southern California, so that's kind of where Laura came from. That would be Laura Palmer, played by Cheryl Lee, whose murder is the core of the original series. Interestingly, on a video about this very topic on YouTube, people commented about other murders that might have inspired Laura, including the 1974 disappearance of Lori Lynn Partridge. Born May 31, 1957 in Santa Monica, California, she was only 17 when she went missing. Someone also referenced Betty Gale Brown. October 27, 1961, Betty Gale Brown's body was found on the driver's side of her car, with her own bra wrapped around her neck which was ruled as the cause of death. The similarities are not there much in this one, but in reading about Betty Gale Brown on transyrambler.com, an article by Kayla Gross, 28th October 2017, I did find this. According to a local drunk named Alex Arnold Jr., who confessed to the murder, but his actual guilt has been in question because of his drinking. Arnold claimed to have been searching for a place to sleep after hanging out at his favorite bar. He went to Gratz Park and left right after, claiming there were too many people there. He wandered onto Transylvania's campus only to find Betty Gale Brown messing around with an unidentified woman in her car in front of Old Morrison. Arnold says he tried asking them for a match to light his cigarettes. Not a light. But once they saw him, the two women began cursing and yelling at him, so he walked away. Afterwards, in a drunken spurt of rage, he claimed that he turned back around, yanked the door of Betty's car open, and started attacking the two women. The unidentified woman ran almost instantly while Betty was thrown around in her car by Arnold. Betty fought for her life against Arnold, resulting in bruises and scrapes all over her body, along with blood on the dashboard of her car. She died from the strangulation of her own bra, which Arnold claims he threw on the ground once he realized she was dead, and tucked her shirt back into her pants and wandered off campus. He made a point in telling authorities that he did this, so that if he was caught and charged with murder, he wouldn't be charged with rape as well, even though Betty Gale did not suffer from any sexual assault, according to the autopsy. Although Arnold confessed to killing Betty Gale Brown, he simultaneously claimed to be innocent at trial. His court testimony was confusing. At one point, he insisted, I didn't kill her, but I'm not sure of that. Arnold was a habitual drunk for ten years, and so he wasn't totally in his right mind at the time of the murder. What made this case so interesting is that the reports of the papers served as some of the only evidence in this trial, aside from Arnold's initial confession. This was an issue for the prosecution because most of Arnold's claims could also be found in the papers, years before he confessed. Arnold had been drunk for ten years, and it was thought that he read the papers and connected to it somehow, making himself believe that he committed the murder. Arnold claimed at trial to have been with his aunt at the time of the murder, even though in his confession he had claimed to have been wandering around Transylvania after a night of drinking. To put it mildly, the credibility of Alex Arnold was questionable. Additionally, people connected to the Green River Killer, who killed as many as 80 women around Seattle, Washington. And though he had his home and vehicle searched in 1987 in connection with the murders, at the time they were filming Twin Peaks, he was still free and would be until 2001, when they finally used DNA evidence to arrest him. Interestingly, 
Bridgeway would assault and murder a woman and drop their bodies in the water. Of course, there's a lot of water around Seattle, but also water is a good way to get rid of evidence. Common serial killer move. And we must remember that Laura's murderer has also probably been killing people ever since he was young. Because if we are to believe that Bob is a real, powerful force that has been inside Leland Palmer since he was a kid, then he will have wanted to kill many more times than just these last few. So the question then is why does Leland start leaving clues under the nails of the women? Or had he been doing that for a long time and it was only recently that these clues were discovered, just a year before Laura's murder? Remember, in the words of Major Garland Briggs, mystery is the most essential ingredient of life. Mystery creates wonder, which leads to curiosity, which in turn provides the ground for our desire to understand who and what we truly are. This has been a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find links to more at lemmingdrops.com. Follow the show on Twitter at Peaks Radio, and on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Twin Peaks Radio, or join the Facebook group Lemming Drops Studio Tour. You can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. The owls may not be what they seem, but they still serve an imperative function. They remind us to look into the darkness.